My mom is an influencer. I am sick of being a part of it. I had some no photos hoodies printed for me and my little sister. It sucks because there's so much out there about us, and it's what's going to come up when I'm looking for a job, when anyone looks up my name. I first saw this message posted on an Instagram account called Conscious Kid. My friend Dana from Book Club sent it to me. This was a repost from a Reddit thread, and the original poster preferred to remain anonymous, but they claimed they were a child of a mom influencer. I had the kid of one of my friends read it here. The post continued. I found a website that will print custom jackets, print all over the front and back and arms. And I ordered some hoodies that say a bunch of phrases all over them. No photos, no videos. I do not consent to be photographed. No means no. Respect my privacy. No cameras. No profiting off my image. We tried to track down the kid who wrote this original thread. We did a lot of outreach, and a couple of times we thought we were getting pretty close. But at the end of the day, they truly did want to remain anonymous. I respect that. And even though we can't talk to the child who wrote this thread, there's no doubt that these issues are real and valid. More and more children of influencers are starting to speak up, and the adults are taking notice. When it comes to the kids of influencers, there are issues about privacy and consent. About the fact that anyone can take the pictures of these children and do whatever they want with them. Since I began this podcast, people keep asking me, what about the kids? What about this generation of children who will have had their entire lives broadcast to strangers online? I'm Joe Piazza. And we are all under the influence. Chapter 6 The Sharenthood. As we've learned already, influencing and even mom blogging are still young industries. We don't have enough kids that have grown up in this who are now old enough to talk about what it was like. But one case study we do have is what it's like to live your life as a child celebrity. We're all pretty familiar with the horror stories about famous kids, all the way back to Judy Garland and Shirley Temple, up through every single child that was on the show Different Strokes. There was adorable parent trap Lindsay Lohan, who then grew up to be, well, yeah, Lindsay Lohan. It's a new low for Lilo. The troubled actress was detained for allegedly punching this woman in the face. I covered all these kid stars. Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Valium, Vicodin, Percodin, Soma, which was the killer for me. Amanda Bynes having a complete nervous breakdown. Jody Sweeten from Full House's meth addiction. And when did you first become addicted to meth? Um, it was probably a couple years ago. The one thing that I noticed about all of these kids who'd lived their lives in the spotlight is that so many of them were emotionally and psychologically stunted at the age where they first got famous, where they first started putting their lives out there, where they were in the spotlight. They just never got to a certain maturity, or it took them longer to get there because they were famous. 
Growing up in the business, you have to grow up very fast. Um, and you do have a different type of childhood than anyone else your age, which has its, you know, it has its benefits and it has its drawbacks. I know that it sounds extreme, but the fact is we don't know what social media is going to do to our kids. We don't know. It's a brand new form of content and of entertainment. And it is. It's entertainment. Like I said, there's not many, but there are a few children of influencers and mom bloggers who are just starting to tell their stories. One child of a former mom blogger recently launched a series on TikTok to share just how damaging their experience was. Their account is through and Lou. They're 26 now. 26, but they're still experiencing the repercussions of what it was like to have their lives broadcast as a child. Hello, and welcome to the series that I'm starting discussing the uh, experiences that I had growing up as the child of a mommy blog. I was about eight years old when my mom started her blog, and I'm 26 years old now. I was among one of the first generations to have their lives cherry-picked by their parents and posted online for the consumption of strangers. It's, um, it's still something that I am recovering from. For starters, nothing was sacred and there was that constant feeling of being on and it was all for the consumption of strangers. So even now as a 26 year old, I'm still so stressed about how I appear and how it's going to be received by strangers. Hearing Lou's story, and other stories like this has made me really reflect on the cost of building a mom influencer career. The cost to my kids. Now, yes, I have talked a lot about how this could make me tons of money without me having to leave the house. And I love the idea of making a ton of money without leaving my house. But I am concerned about the unforeseen consequences for my family. Because there's no way around it. I've got to put my kids on my Instagram. That's the thing about being a mom influencer. You're a mom, and that is your brand. So you have to post pictures of your kid. It's part of your fucking job. Influencers certainly feel the pressure. Like, how could I have a baby and not share it? <laughs> how could my life yeah. be authentic if I don't put this out there? Yeah. That's Emily Hund again. Remember her? She's the researcher from the Annenberg School of Communications at UPenn. Over the course of Emily's research into social media influencers, she heard over and over again that influencers felt an intense and almost crippling pressure to post more and more about their kids. It's such a fraught experience. They know that they are part of this industry and the structure that incentivizes them to share more vulnerable content and more personal stuff. And so... Yeah, it's, it's really fraught. And again, people are just figuring it out as they go. And in the middle of all of this are the kids, the adorable little creatures whose photos are fueling this industry. Your kids don't really have a choice. They don't really have the capacity to understand what this sharing means. And in some ways, none of us do because we're kind of in uncharted waters as far as sharing so many images and videos of children online on these platforms where we don't really know what's going to happen to this content in the future. Kids don't have a choice. And for most of their childhood, they're not able to give consent either. 
They are completely irrational little creatures. They're walking id. My son, who sometimes makes sense, won't stop yelling about how bad his baby sister is all the time. She is bad. She is not bad. Can you please be nice to your sister? No. So because children have no clue, they still depend on us to make all of their decisions. As parents, we need to take this issue of consent very seriously. We need to be the ones thinking about the ramifications of posting our kids' entire lives online. Will that picture of my kid on the potty show up when he goes for his first job interview? Or what about that water shoes debacle from the last episode? Will it keep him from getting into college? What are my kids going to think about all of this once they can actually think about things? Back in 2018, I read this story by Josephine Livingstone in The New Republic. It stuck with me for three years. The headline was, Is it ethical to post pictures of your kids on Instagram? And this one line from the article stuck with me. Instagram has become a place where images of children are swapped for cold, hard cash. It's been a while since she wrote it, but that story is stuck with Joe Livingstone, too, even though she's not a mom and she's not particularly into Instagram. I filled Joe in on this podcast and what I was trying to do as a potential influencer. I also mentioned that sometimes I feel kind of gross posting pictures of my kids online now that I'm trying to get paid for it. Part of the arc of this podcast is that I try to become a mom influencer to see exactly <laughs> what it takes to do it. And uh, I'm going to ruin the ending for you. I fucking suck at it. How many kids do you have? Two. See, the industry really favors the four to six. The more kids you have, the more money you're going to make. I'm serious. <laughs> my period's two days late. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Spoiler, my friends. I got my period. Joe's article started by talking about this fascinating French law that bans parents from posting pictures of their kids on Instagram. And that means that you have not just a responsibility, but a liability, right? <laughs> that you... I may have to answer for your decisions one day because I think as this law is designed to remind you, your child is a person. So I was fascinated by this. I thought, how can this be considered straightforward law in one place and then be totally culturally counterintuitive in America? And when I looked into it more, I found that the French law is very much based on the fear of online pedophiles. The concept being that the more images of children that simply exist online in a wide variety of contexts, the more we may be feeding appetites that we did, do not intend to even acknowledge. The threat of online predators is very real. Anyone who has watched multiple episodes of To Catch a Predator over and over again when you've been hungover on a dreary Sunday knows that. I love you, Chris Hansen. And this threat of online predators is something that Lou, the former child of a mom influencer, was also very concerned about in their TikTok series. Imagine you give the first 100,000 strangers you encounter a physical copy of your favorite picture of your kid to do whatever they want with it. Of that 100,000 people, most of them are going to immediately discard the picture and maybe say like cute kid or whatever. But in that 100,000 people, how many do you think are the type 
to take that picture home and keep it. I promise it's immeasurably worse as the child coming to that realization and knowing that predators are going to be predatory regardless of what you're wearing. You have no idea how many are out there and made that choice. What Lou is talking about is the choice to take one of your child's pictures and use it for things you probably don't want anyone using your child's picture for. If there is no consent that can be chased in this equation, then can we make an ethical decision at all? That to me seems like a truly intractable problem when speaking about kids. I asked a few of my friends about this question and one of my friends, um, Anna, who has a sweet, sweet little baby said, well, I wouldn't Instagram him if he was sleeping or, you know, in the bath or something. And I thought, that's fascinating because to a mother, I suppose that a sleeping child versus a awake child are exerting different levels of autonomy in the world. But to me, I just kind of figure that babies are cognitively asleep the whole time anyway. <laughs> me too. Now I'm thinking about posing that question to me. and Because I, I do post my kids on Instagram and I, I think about my motives a lot as I do this podcast. And in the early days, and I still use this excuse sometimes, it's easier for their grandparents to see these pictures if I just post them. I also don't think that's the whole truth. I think that we also do it because as moms, we don't always get a ton of validation about being moms and likes are this strange form of validation in our world today. Yeah. So you're in, effectively, you're reducing the affective labor that you ordinarily required to do to, you know, get the relatives off your back, but also looking for community, right? And that is, I think, an impulse that would be really difficult to question. Part of me just thinks, like, if we can create shortcuts to intimacy in this era of atomization, then, you know, who am I to judge? And speaking of judgment, you know, I don't think that it's wrong or right to post a picture of your kid. But I do think that your average parent maybe doesn't see that they're on a continuum that connects to the influencers, to the mommy bloggers, right? Whereas you're obviously very cognizant of it's all connected. I hate saying this over and over again because as a reporter, I want concrete facts. But in this case, we don't have them. We still do not know how pervasive it is for pictures to be picked off of an Instagram and used for nefarious purposes, including by child predators. We have no idea. This is all still too new. But because it's even a possibility, we have to think about it. Most young children under the age of eight have no idea what's being posted about them. They can't consent. They can't say yes. So where's the line? I asked Joe Livingstone, at what point do normal moms on Instagram cross over to that dark side? So for me, the line is the exchange of money because it's such a strong financial motivation for people to do things that may not be in the best interests of their children. I don't think that I would have been very happy to have been an influencer's child. There's something about consuming the humanity of children, which is marketable, and it's only getting more marketable, but it denies or rather kind of tamps down our interest in other people and people who aren't cute and <laughs> kids who aren't, you know, willing to sit still for a photograph. It has a homogenizing effect and it, it really does. It preys on the worst parts of us. The worst parts of us. 
the worst parts of me, the worst parts of me as a mother. And even just playing this thought experiment about the impact that this can have on kids is making me start to feel like I should shut this entire experiment down. We'll dig more into that after a quick break. You're wearing a new sweater. I haven't seen that sweater before. Vintage from the 1930s, baby. When I was filling Glennis in on the conversation I had with Joe Livingstone, we realized we both had some very strong reactions to these ideas. When Joe Livingstone started talking about the worst parts of us, us as in the collective us, I started thinking about the worst parts of me, of myself, and the things that I don't like to admit, like the fact that... I do actually like posting pictures of my kids and I do get some weird dopamine hit when I get a bunch of likes on them. And that feels problematic. I think there's some normalcy to that, right? Like when we were kids, if we were in the school play or a concert or whatever it was, or even when I was a competitive swimmer and my mother would come and watch, like, of course she was so excited when I won. And of course she was so proud. And of course she wanted to tell people and her doing so made me feel better because it made me feel seen and it made me feel appreciated. And like what happens in social media though, is that those natural reactions are blown out to such unnatural proportions that the effect is like, I'm taking this thing that's completely normal, being proud of my child and wanting to share that. And like, it's, I've turned it into a monster and, and is that monster going to eat up me and my child. There are actual horror stories out there. And again, let's note that the internet loves to attack women and loves to attack mothers, but you hear influencer horror stories. There's the story of the mom influencer who adopted a kid and he was a special needs child. And then she gave him back. She gave back her adopted child after she'd gotten all of the likes and all of the validation. There's another mom influencer who people think pretended that her children had been kidnapped or almost kidnapped so that she would get more attention so that she would go viral. Monday of this week, my children were the targets of attempted kidnap, um, which is such a weird thing to even vocalize. Um, but it happened. Um, and I want to share that story with you in an effort to raise awareness as to what signs to look for. Um, there is another story that has stuck in my brain for years. I first read it when Charlie was about a year old. So I guess that was 2018. I was posting a lot of pictures of him online. But when I read this article, it scared the shit out of me. And I didn't post for a while. Um, you probably don't remember this, but the headline from BuzzFeed was, a mommy blogger is under fire for posting that her son is the least liked of her kids on Instagram. Just to be clear, I do remember that story, which tells you something because this is not my world. The background you need to know here is that Katie Bauer was a mom blogger and an influencer. Before all of this blew up, she wrote mostly about parenting and DIY stuff. Katie and her husband, Jeremy, have five kids. When the second of her four sons turned six, she commemorated his birthday on Instagram. That post has since been deleted. 
but hello, the internet, it's been archived by news sites around the world. We had an actor read the post. This is what she wrote. Guys, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Instagram never liked my munchkin, and it killed me inside. His photos never got as many likes, never got comments. From a statistical point of view, he wasn't as popular with everyone out there. I say all that because I want to believe that it wasn't him, that it was on me, because I truly know that my munch deserves all the likes, whether or not a stranger gives it to him. Fuck. Do we really live in a world where like is a present for a child? That puts a lot of this in perspective. Now, as you can imagine, the comments on Katie Bauer's Instagram post were instantaneous, and they were not nice. If you're an Instagram mommy blogger who's afraid that how many likes your child's picture gets will one day hurt his self-esteem, your parenting is horrid, and I feel bad for your kid. Why don't you trade him for a kid that'll get you more likes? I'm sure we can find him a mom who doesn't care about the Instagram algorithm. Celebrity mom Chrissy Teigen wife of John Legend, who also posts a lot of pictures of her children on the internet, she even weighed in. She said, oh my God, what in the hell? Katie Bauer was shamed. She responded to all of that shame in yet another Instagram story. I decided to talk about it because I learned a valuable lesson that our value doesn't depend on someone else seeing our worth. Everyone can see the likes and comments, and as a parent, those numbers mean absolutely nothing. But the likes did clearly mean something to Katie Bauer, because if they didn't mean something, why would she post that original post in the first place? And those likes mean a lot in the influencing industry. Numbers matter. Likes matter. Sharing pictures of your kids tends to increase your likes. Bigger numbers tend to give you more revenue. That's just the way this business works. The more followers you have looking at your kids, the more you're starting to open them up to criticism. Because broadcasting your life on social media does make you a celebrity. I would argue that in a lot of ways, you're like a new kind of reality star. And people love to criticize celebrities even kids. The parenting stuff didn't pick up right away. That started more when Huck was a toddler. And then it was all across the board. It was, you know, like, she's mothering that boy and she's going to like turn him into like one of those kids who lives in her basement forever and she'll never let him grow up. And she, she dresses like him. That's so, that's so disturbing. She's sick in her head. Remember Natalie Levin? of the Hey Natalie Jean Instagram account. She was the Mormon mom influencer who was making about 80 grand a year in the early days of mom influencing. Now, once her son Huck, that adorably squishy baby, once he was no longer a baby, he became fair game for internet nastiness. Like just really (laughs) funny things about his pants being too tight and his, his scrotum health and his testicles won't drop. And she just cares about him looking like a hipster. She doesn't really care about his, his, she doesn't care about his testicles. <laughs> I really, I really didn't, though, at that time. Care about <laughs> no, no, I've never <laughs> thought about it. Yeah, it was surreal. And at first, I kind of took it with in stride with a sense of humor, which must have been some kind of like trauma reaction, like disassociative state. Bethany Garcia, the mom of five and author of the Instagram account, The Garcia Diaries, she had insults slung at her newborn baby. I was just going to read to you. This is a comment I got last week 
about my kids is someone said your kids like like a UNICEF advertisement. And then on a picture of Ellis at one week old, they said, imagine a whole baby coming out and it has an ass chin. And I'm like, I literally don't care. Like, call me whatever you want to call me. But it's so hard when they start to attack my kids. God, who says a baby has an ass chin? Also, I've never heard the insult ass chin, and now I'm definitely going to use it. I love it. Does the baby have an ass chin? She totally has, a, like, a total ass chin. Like, <laughs> and I think it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life, but apparently some people are offended by it. People are making fun of Bethany's family, and she's trying to take it all in stride, because if she takes it personally, then they win. I laughed about these things with both of these women. They laughed first, and then I laughed, and maybe we all had to laugh, because as women, we've always been trained to have this kind of gallows humor about ourselves, because if we can't laugh at ourselves, then we're not in on the joke. We are the joke. Laughing is self-defense. We've shown that putting your family out there makes every single member of your family a potential target of criticism. But there's something else we need to talk about. Putting your family on Instagram also means that your entire family is working. And your kids are working. In the past couple of years, the number of mom influencer accounts has reached into the tens of thousands. The number of children featured in these accounts is in the hundreds of thousands. It is a workforce equal to the laborers of some island nations. After a quick break, we're gonna talk about the legal repercussions of putting your kids to work. From a legal perspective, there's a gray zone where it's not quite clear that those kids are being put to work, but it's not quite clear that they're not. That voice is Leah Plunkett. I'm an associate dean and associate professor at University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm also a faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. She wrote the book on this subject. It's called Sharonhood why we should think before we talk about our kids online. So Plunkett is the one who actually introduced this idea of sharenting. Sharenting, the way I define it, refers to all the ways that parents engage in any activities digitally using kids' private information. So that includes social media. I think it goes beyond information that is transmitted through a smart device in a home or on a child's body. I think properly understood, sharenting includes all of those things too. And so if you layer on the fact that commercial sharents have a wider audience than your everyday sharent, or are at least trying to have a wider audience, Commercial sharents are influencers, by the way. The people making money off sharing photos of their lives with their kids. They are taking corporate sponsorships. They're generating ad revenue. There is this layer of workplace, <laughs> of you know, marketplace, that is coming in on top of sharenting that can impact both the kids' experience now and in the future, because that content is going to go much further and wider if the commercial sharent is successful. And also from the way the law looks at things, 
Is this a child who is essentially being put to work in a largely unregulated family business? A largely unregulated business. It sounds a lot like Hollywood to me. And these kids of influencers, they're obviously not like the kids that are being forced to work in factories or, say, on a family dairy farm. But in a way, they are still doing a job. That's a perspective that we are only just starting to play with. And it's messy. As I was running through all of this with Glynis, she told me she also couldn't stop thinking about the implications. Of all the interviews you've done for this podcast, the remark that these children are being forced to participate in child labor against their consent and unpaid is the thing that has stuck with me the most. I really, it, it connects in some very disturbing ways, this moment with sort of like a Dickensian novel of young children working in factories without any laws or protections. It's such a strange moment to be in where parenting is so devoted to all aspects of protection around children, like helmets, seatbelts, food. You can only eat organic, watch all the chemicals. And yet at the same time, these same parents are pushing their children out onto a stage without consent. And there's no, all of the money that's being made, you could argue that it's going towards the family, but that's always an argument. Like, are these children being compensated for their labor? Because it is labor. You can no longer put a child on a film set and have them be paid to do something and then take their money. But you could for a long time. This might be dating me, but in the 80s, there was a movie called Irreconcilable Differences with Drew Barrymore. She played the kid and she divorced her parents. And the premise is a movie, she took them to court and she divorced her parents, which I actually think might've happened in real life with her own mother. It doesn't feel like a coincidence. It doesn't feel like a coincidence. So are you saying that we should write a screenplay where the child of an influencer divorces their influencer parents? Yes. What would it be called? It would be called like offline. Unfollow me. Unfollow for life. (laughs) But for real, I for real think we're about to get a deluge of these sorts of, to the point where it'll be like, here's yet another child actor with their terrible story. To be fair, I've interviewed more than a hundred mom influencers at this point. I don't think any of them that I've talked to are bad parents. They do tell me they set up boundaries. They do tell me that if their kids don't want to be in a photo, they don't force them. Again, this is just what people are telling me. I don't know. But the fact is there's no laws. There's no regulation of this industry the way that there is of, say, the film industry and the TV industry. But the film and TV industry was not always like that. I actually talked to New York Times reporter Sapna Maheshwari, who's covered the influencer industry, about the fact that this is the Wild West when it comes to child labor laws. There's really no safeguards in place for children who are appearing in this sort of media and in this sort of marketing there aren't that many rules generally for kids in terms of how they get paid um, as actors, but there is a, a law that came up a lot in my reporting called the Coogan Law. As Sapna explained this law to me, and she explained it for way longer than we're including in here, it became clear that this could be one of the guides that could help us figure out how kids on Instagram could stay protected. The Coogan Law is named for a former child star 
whose parents actually spent all of the money he had earned by the time he turned 21. And it basically uh, says that some amount of a child actor's earnings have to be set aside in a trust. These rules don't apply to children influencers. And I think this is a case of laws not keeping up with technology, where these are you know kids who are being employed by brands in the same way a child actor in a television commercial would be, but they're not subject to the same protections around their earnings. Little more history on the Coogan Law. It was established way back in 1939 by a kid who was featured in a Charlie Chaplin movie. That's when Hollywood was still a pretty young industry, much like the influencing industry today. And it's making me think about how influencing should enact these laws now. Now, before it gets ahead of itself, before things get bad. Lindsay Lohan, Jody Sweeten, bad. Leah Plunkett just kept stressing to me that this conversation is well overdue. It has happened so fast that I think it has taken us all a little bit of time to even really recognize that sharenting, however you define it, whether you take my broader definition or narrow it to social media posts by parents, it took us a while to even kind of label it. Leah Plunkett did label it, and that's a start. But there probably needs to be more. All of this is showing me that we are raising a generation of children who will never have a choice about whether or not they want to be on the internet. It's a given for them that almost from the moment they come out of their mother's bodies, or sometimes even in utero, that they have a digital footprint. And that's even more true for children of influencers. There's probably going to be some consequences to that. There are several different types of impacts of this digitally sharented or born sharented, you might say, generation generations <laughs> might have. The first would be those consequences that are criminal, illegal, or otherwise dangerous. And so one example is identity theft. The more information you have about someone's intimate details, and we are putting all of that information out about our kids. And so unfortunately, given the big data breach world we live in, it is really not hard for identity thieves to take information about these born sharented kids and get credit in their name. But there's a deeper threat here. A threat to how these kids are gonna grow up in the world. You heard Lou, the child of a former mom blogger, the one on TikTok. There is a very real effect on kids' emotional and psychological development. These seem to be traumas that stay with children for a very long time. This is actually the one that for me matters the most, is what the born sharented generation will experience in terms of developing their own sense of self and by extension their own relationships with people now and in the future. It's really dangerous for kids when their ability to play, to just move through the world, I don't just mean like play dolls or play trucks, but to experiment and to be themselves and figure out who they are is being scripted by a company that doesn't know them, isn't designed to support their well-being or psychological development, but has a profit motive. 
I think there's a good chance that we will look back on this period 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, kind of the way we looked back on the era before seatbelts were mandatory or when smoking everywhere was still okay. But I'm in some ways even more nervous that what's going to happen is that we won't get there. What we do as parents, commercial or otherwise, is modeling a certain type of digital citizenship for our kids. And they are going to take their cues from us. And so the line for me between what we do about our kids and then what we set them up to do about themselves, that's a tricky line. What concerns Leah Plunkett the most is that we're setting our kids up for a whole new kind of reality. One where they don't get to think about, who do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to try? But instead... How do I present myself to the world? How is the world going to rate me in terms of likes or clicks or sponsorships? What's so deeply problematic about that is I really fear that we are falling down as a generation of parents on our ethical duties to our kids. We are not going to be the first generation to fail our kids. Hi, Mom. Remember when you used to let me watch Married with Children all the time? I'm sure that every parent at some point has felt like they are just dropping all the balls. I talk about this all the time with my mom friends, with Glynis, about how I think I might have fucked up my kids just today, just in the past 24 hours. Our parents didn't have this ethical quandary. They had other ethical quandaries. There was a lot of fucked up parenting in the 70s and 80s, but they didn't have to think about this. I do wonder, A, are we teaching kids it's okay to be surveilled? And B, are we teaching kids that their only value comes from an audience? Not just from an audience, but from likes from that audience. All of these kids are essentially becoming child stars in a way. And some of these influencers' kids get recognized on the street. There's an influencer in Philly that my friends say they don't recognize her, but they recognize her kids. I wonder what it's doing to kids' psyches to always be going somewhere and having people you don't know comment on things that you're doing. Well, I remember last year I tweeted something about potty training. I don't even remember what what it is. And Charlie came with me. We ran into a friend slash acquaintance. And she looked at Charlie and said, oh my gosh, you know how to use the potty now. <gasps> Charlie was real little at that point, but I could see, he's like, oh my God, why is this stranger talking to me about my potty? Mm-hmm. And I, I haven't thought about that until just now. And that's creepy, right? It's a creepy thing. I think it is distorting. Mm-hmm. I always think, like, would you invite 10,000 people into your house to watch your kid take their clothes off and put their pajamas on or sit and eat their breakfast? Like, that's would you go and and send your child into, like, an amphitheater of 10,000 people so that they can get with their Cheerios? Well, it's interesting because Nick and I have never had this talk. Like, how do you want to put your kids on Instagram? Nick uses Facebook, but 
he posts videos of the kids on Facebook constantly. Oh, really? Constantly. And Nick doesn't look at Instagram, so he doesn't know what I post. He thinks Instagram is the stupidest. And I don't look at Facebook, so I don't know what he posts. I think maybe Nick should listen to this episode, and then we should have a come to Jesus about how our kids live on the internet. And so I decided to talk to Nick. I should probably find out what he thinks about the ethics, the morality, the fact that if I keep pursuing a career as a mom influencer, we'll be putting our kids to work and potentially exposing them to threats that we never thought about. I decided to do it late at night, right after I'd already asked him to do something else that he found completely disgusting. Let me pull out the gray hairs on the back of my head. Do it! Why? And then I turned on what you guys just heard. This episode of the podcast, everything leading up until right now. All right, listen. All right, here you go. My can, mom. I'll wait till you. All right, you just wait. Just let you listen. I'll go. I'm gonna go in the other room. All right, I'm I'm listening. Okay. I had some. No, I want you to come. In. I want you to. I want you to absorb everything I say about what this world does to children, and then I want to talk about it. All right. I did. I went into the other room, finished pulling out my own gray hairs, which is not easy. I put Charlie back to bed because he had a nightmare about tsunamis. That's a new thing in our house. He thinks we're all going to die by tsunami. And then I came back to ask Nick what he thought about this, how he thought we should navigate this world with our own kids. Um, well, come, you have to come, you have to, you have to come closer okay. to the recording machine. All right. Very good. I'll do that. Honestly, if you were asking a question about our children, um, you know, I think that well, for the most part, it's pretty harmless. I mean, I think you can you can overdo it, which, to my knowledge, you're not doing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, how often do you check my Instagram? Almost never. <laughs> Maybe you should check it. I've seen a few photos. They're very cute. I don't mm. think there's any harm in it. Yeah, but what do you think about once you get into? commercializing your kids once those pictures of well, your kids are making money yeah that's different and that's where you have the whole child star phenomenon which you've seen play out you've seen what happened to happens to kids in hollywood that have gone down that road so there's clearly red flags there and um you know that's potentially an issue so don't go down that road too far i don't think that turning the children into objects of likes and so on to that extent is uh, a good use of anyone's time or more importantly for them because i don't i think that it would be upsetting to them in the future yeah well at the time too we did that photo shoot i mean within reason you know but like they don't need that kind of pressure. They don't need to think about that kind of stuff. They don't need to be worrying about their image or their poise or faking their emotions for a photograph. Neither of our kids have poise. I'm that that's my point. <laughs> 
and you know maybe when they're a little bit older if they really get into performing you know that's that's fun that's basically what this is it's performing and that's great that's totally fine but they have to understand that yeah there you go there you go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right good night Good night. This episode's been a lot. Has it been a lot for you? Because it's been a lot for me. We tackled consent, privacy, a lack of regulation, the possibility that one or both of my kids could turn into one or both of the Corys. It's a lot to take in. You know, I had a different ending for this episode. I was going to tell you all about episode seven, talk to you all about how we're delving into the even darker side of Instagram, of how it makes women feel terrible, of the awful pay gap between black influencers and white influencers, and the infiltration of QAnon into the mom influencing community. And now all I can say is I think I need a break. I might need to put this experiment on pause for a little bit. I don't know what comes next. I'm starting to think that maybe I shouldn't keep doing this. Do we have someone else read the credits? (laughs) Joe and I are going to figure this all out and get back to you next week. Under the Influence is reported and hosted by Joe Piazza. Our story editor is me, Glynis McNichol. Emily Marinoff is our producer. Sound design by Emily Marinoff and Jackie Huntington. Our theme and additional music was composed by Jessica Kreinchich. Mixing done by Jackie Huntington. Additional research conducted by Jocelyn Sears. Julian Weller is our consulting producer. Mangesh Hatikudur is our executive producer. Thank you to Morgan Lavoie, Lindsay Hoffman, and Julia Weaver for doing some voice acting in this episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>